You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Y'all, I have uh, less hair this year than I did last year at this time. Hey, uh, first and foremost, if you are a new student here, I want to say welcome. Welcome to Asbury. And for our returning students, welcome back. I am thrilled that you are here. This has been an exciting couple of weeks and especially the recent days to see the students move back in, to see students embrace one another with excitement, moving stuff around, just being on campus. That's the way it should be here. That's been really exciting. I saw some students in a video doing the Macarena this weekend. And so, yeah, yes, congratulations. Uh, that was a little stigmatizing for me, uh, but um, traumatizing. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, just students being around. The, the weight room this morning, there are like 50 or 60 students in the weight room at 6.30. There are basketballs bouncing. I love it. Again, this is the way it should be on our campus. So I have the privilege of opening our time together and sharing a message with you. My comments will be brief, but I wanted to make a few comments to you about some reading that I've done this summer with a relevant application. I've read several authors, but I've really gotten into the 20th century French philosopher Simone Weil. W-E-I-L is how you spell her last name. Uh, I would strongly encourage you to check out her work. It's truly incredible. She was a Christian who took the moral life and the inherent value of every human being with great seriousness. Her life was characterized by faithfulness, and self-expenditure for the sake of others. And here's the important thing. She was not just a woman of ideas, and she was not just a woman of beliefs, and she was not just a woman who had the title Christian. She lived it. It took on flesh in her life. She embodied her ideas and her beliefs and her Christian identity. And let me give just one really striking example of this. It was her own death. So while she technically died of tuberculosis, her death was actually accelerated through self-starvation. She refused to eat more food than the French men and women in her country and the rations that they were given in German-occupied France. And that act of solidarity killed her. She was 34 years old. So I was listening to a commentator describing her life and he said that her philosophy was lived philosophy, okay? In other words, her beliefs and values didn't simply exist up in her head, and they got worked out in her life, in her words, and in her actions. She lived her argument. She performed her values. Her philosophy was lived philosophy. And what I wrote in the margins when I was reading that was, all Christianity is lived Christianity. 
Are you with me? All Christianity is lived Christianity. My salvation is not simply secured with the faculties above my neck. My Christianity is not simply about what I believe in my mind and what I utter with my mouth and the self-identification of the word Christian. My testimony, my faith, how I bear witness is not simply a matter of propositional arguments that I might make, the prestige I hold at a given time, the fear I could invoke, or the power that I might wield. And this matters for so many reasons, but just in our our brief time this morning, let me just focus on one. In reference to the Christian faith, I just want you to consider some of the questions and expressions that are bubbling up in our current moment. So when I was your age, it was really common to ask, is the Bible true or is Christianity true? And now we've had some authors say a new question has emerged. Not is Christianity true, but is Christianity good? Is it good? Steve Deneff, the pastor who will be here later this semester, he says the world is not asking for your thoughts or my thoughts or the church's thoughts on right and wrong. The world is not asking what we believe. They're asking a different question. Does it work? Does it work? Today, people are walking away from the faith not because they don't believe what the church teaches. They don't believe the church believes what the church teaches. And today, people are walking away from the faith not because the standards of Christianity are too high, but because the bar is so low. So when Christians claim the lordship of Jesus but fail to give evidence that they are following Christ, it's little wonder that onlookers would be cynical, skeptical, bitter, negative, or perhaps just indifferent. In the book of Jude, the author condemns those who claim the lordship of Jesus, but who are idle. And they use these really interesting expressions. They only feed themselves at potlucks, says the author. They're clouds without water. They're seasonal trees that actually bear no fruit. They're waves that do not bring to shore anything of value or use. They are wandering, untrustworthy stars. In other words, these people are to be condemned, says Jude, because they don't do anything. (laughs) Their self-identification as a Christian doesn't show up in any meaningful way. It doesn't shape and regulate their life in any significant way. Making no contribution, they take up space, and they exhaust resources, and they're unreliable. And Jude's words are relevant today. It's not enough to carry the moniker Christian if we're just a waterless cloud, a fruitless tree, or a wandering star. You may have read the book Crazy Love by Francis Chan. He gives a strong critique in the book of lukewarm Christianity, but afterwards he described people who would come up to him and give a rather curious reaction. They would say, I loved your book. I thought it was so great, even though I consider myself to be a lukewarm Christian. Then you missed the point of the book, Chan would respond. There is no lukewarm Christianity. This reminds me of a commercial I heard for NyQuil or something like that. And it was describing the benefits, uh, in describing the benefits, the advertisement was quick to point out, don't worry, the medicine is non-habit forming. (laughs) 
I thought that was interesting. You can go to sleep, but don't worry, it's non-habit forming. And I think this is what we risk implicitly communicating about our faith sometimes. Our trenchant belief and hope and joy that Jesus was resurrected is useful in some areas of our life, but ultimately, it's non-habit forming. It's not affecting our lives in any significant way. It's not demanding. It's benign. Now, some might respond to all of this, yes, but faith alone will save you, to which men and women, great saints of the past, have replied, yes, but if your faith is alone, then it isn't faith. All Christianity is lived Christianity. Thank you, Simone Weil. All Christianity is lived Christianity. The theologian Stanley Harvoss writes, what we believe, or better, what we do, cannot be explained. It can only be shown. The word we have been giving for such a showing is witness. It can't be explained. It can only be shown. And we have a word for that, witness. And in this quote, I think we have the answer for how to think about witness, especially in this moment. Not just our titles, what I call myself, a Christian, not just our ideas, not just propositional arguments, but rather the embodiment of our faith, our doctrine, our tradition, and our convic convictions, where we actually live and perform our faith. We demonstrate our commitments, and we practice these Christ-like characteristics. The theologian Sarah Coakley says, theology is always, it's always a recommendation for life. It always answers the question, so what? Dallas Willard says, almost never is worldview taught by explicit statement. We model worldview, he says. What's the best way to communicate your faith? Live your faith. What's the best way to bear witness to your faith? Live as if Jesus was Lord. How do we answer today's questions bubbling up with respect to Christianity and Christian, Christians? We answer with our lives. We perform our values, and we live out our argument. So there's a quote, I think I've given it every year, perhaps, that I've been president at this academic convocation. Gypsy Smith, British evangelist, he says, there are five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian. And most people, he says, will never read the first four. Your life and my life is a living, breathing, walking, talking gospel witness. So when others see us, do they see the character of God and do they see Christ? That's the question. Let me close with this. There were two prayers that dominated my attention for this community, for our students, for our staff, and for our faculty this summer. The first was rest. Rest for our returning students, for our staff, for our faculty. Last semester was exhausting <laughs> for all of you. People were like, what's your campus like? I was like, subdued. <laughs> and I would ask students about that, and they would say, I'm exhausted. Staff would say, I'm exhausted. Faculty are like, we're exhausted. Everyone went above and beyond. I'm thankful for that, but I prayed for your rest, that you could come refreshed into this space. Second, I prayed for your hunger. First, I want you to be hungry to learn. I want you to come to your classes and your professors with a desire to furnish your mind and to cultivate great thinking. 
You bring your hunger to learn to this faculty behind me, your hunger will be met, I promise. And I want you to have a hunger for participation in the life of God, an appetite for the things of God, a hunger to be holy and set apart. When we come up here on stage, whether that's someone speaking or praying or worship or a liturgy or a benediction, whatever, we're under the banner, you are under the banner of holiness unto the Lord. A hunger to be salt and light service to others. A hunger to offer compassionate service and support to socially, economically, and politically vulnerable communities. A hunger to bend the universe in a Godward direction. And a hunger to know the Lord and to embody and reflect his holy character. Be all in. I like what Mark Whitworth says. Let's leave no doubt. Why? One, because... I am of the deep conviction, this is the life we were made for. This is the life that Christ has for you and I. Ephesians 2.10, for we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. I believe it's our best life. But second, this is because it's how we bear witness in this moment. In 2023, this is how we make our argument. In 2023, seeing really is believing. The holy life is our argument. All Christianity is lived Christianity. And finally, students, I just want to say I am so glad that you're here. It is a privilege. It's a privilege to get this, to do this work with you. It's a privilege to lock arms with the men and the women that work at Asbury University whose days rise and fall thinking about you and your intellectual, your social, and your spiritually formative experience. Together, let's continue to love one another and bear witness to the one who loves you and I. How incredible it would be that when others see us, hear us, and watch us, they will know more about the character and the goodness of God. I'm thankful. God bless you all. I'm looking forward to our time together this semester and this year. Thank you.